Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lenz, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you download our free Living Truth app. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Job chapter 42 called Restoration and Blessing. Now, just to recap, Job answered the Lord after the Lord showed him behemoth and Leviathan, these incredibly powerful, untamed creatures that some of us believe were water dinosaurs or uh, uh, dinosaurs may, that may be now extinct. And if you want to catch up on those, you can catch up on those. But after seeing those, uh, Job answered the Lord and said, Job 42, 2, I know that thou can do all things and that no purpose of thine can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Verse four. Hear now and I will speak. I will ask thee and do thou instruct me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee. Therefore, says Job, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Now, the crescendo of the book, if you will, Job has been asking his questions and he's been asking them as an innocent sufferer who doesn't know that both barrels of the devil who's pictured in Leviathan have been aimed at Job and his fortune and his family. And he has been decimated and he sat in a pile of ashes in the middle of town, if you will, to picture his grief and sorrow. And if you're just catching up with the book of Job, three of his friends came with a goal, Job 2.11, to comfort and console him. They did a very poor job. And as the book unfolds, they get more and more frustrated with him because they believe that Job has some secret sin in his life that has brought this terrible calamity onto his life. And Job doesn't have any secret sin. In fact, he is a godly man of whom God brags about his godliness. And he calls him my servant Job very early in the book. And it is the enemy, the Satan, if you will, that begins to question why Job shows allegiance to the Lord. Why does he follow you? Because you've hedged him in, because you've blessed him on every side. Let me add him says Satan. And God allows this for his divine reasons under his sovereignty, which we'll touch on this coming Sunday night. And all hell literally breaks loose in Job's life. And he is decimated. He loses his children. Ten children perish. His wife curses him. And uh, his friends are really of no comfort. We begin to get a little light at the end of the tunnel as uh, Elihu, the youngest of the four, comes at the end of the book and begins to set the table. He's kind of a John the Baptist, a forerunner to God's speeches that begin in chapter 38. In uh, chapter 32, Elihu begins to speak, and then God begins to speak to Job in chapters 38 through 42, concluding in chapter 42. So that's a quick synopsis of where we've been. Job we could say, literally has walked through the valley of the shadow of death. We've encouraged one another when we've studied Psalm 23 
that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death because of our good shepherd who laid down his life for us, who tasted death for each one of us and now has been crowned with glory and honor. And now Job has walked through that valley and he's come to the end where he will be restored. I want you to notice in verse 6 that he retracts the wrong conclusions he had come to in regard to God. Now, Job had didn't have secret sin that brought the calamity on his life, but he had made some mistakes with his mouth in the midst of the calamity. And that's where God challenged him. He, he challenged him about his conclusions and, and so forth about running the universe. And now Job, ha- having been taken through this, one writer says, uh, this restoration is beautifully captured in this final section of the book as his family... Uh, Job generally and his family rides off into the sunset. I believe this is a beautiful ending to a powerful book that should be studied on multiple occasions, but has been very timely for the time in which we live. In the prayer, I mentioned James 5.11. I won't take you there, but uh, write it down. And this is something we looked at at the beginning of the book of Job. James quotes Job or refers to Job when he says, Behold, We count those blessed who endured, James 5.11. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome. Here's what we're studying now, the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Job endured, God gave him grace. And one writer says, endurance is an active quality of a believer And from the book of Romans, we see that endurance is or perseverance is a gift of grace from God. God is the God who gives perseverance. We lean into him. We lean into the word of God. And the result is we get God-given perseverance. And that's what we need. And it's an active quality throughout this marathon of life. We've all noticed that the Christian life is not a sprint. It's going to be a marathon for most. And so we have to find that good pace and that perseverance when we want to give up. I was reading an article uh, written by Dale Partridge, how the coronavirus might change the local church forever. And here's some comments he makes in this, le- in this uh, article. He says, most of all, I believe God will be glorified through the coronavirus. I believe as J.C. Ryle so beautifully stated, quote, Health is a good thing, but sickness is far better if it leads us to God, close quote. This season may not look like the most effective path toward a Christian awakening in our world, but history confirms that the most fertile soil for church revival is found in the beds of suffering and uncertainty. Though it may seem bleak, many are coming back to the Bible. Though it may seem confusing, many are on their knees in prayer. Though it may feel broken, many are seeing their need for the gospel. I think of C.S. Lewis's grand thought on the matter. He says, quote, we can even ignore pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world, close quote. The Lord knows what he's doing, and we can have joy in the midst of this pandemic, for he is with us until the very end, close quote.
And so that we, so even though we don't understand everything that God is doing, we know that God is sovereign. We know God is on his throne. We know God is working in the midst of this pandemic. And we know he's been shouting to the world. Maybe he's been shouting to you. Maybe your ears have opened uh, more than they ever have before. Maybe you've been praying more than you ever have before. Maybe you've gotten back to your Bible. These are all positive things because here's what happens to us as humans. And I think we all understand this. When things are going really, really well in life, we can feel overconfident and even prideful and feel like we don't need God. When times are uncertain and we don't have it all together and we don't have the answers, and it's sad that this is the way it has to be, that's when we learn to rely upon God. Faith is often born in the cauldron of adversity, but it's also strengthened in the cauldron of adversity. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, maybe, you know, you, maybe you were in a bit of doldrums in the last uh, months leading up to the pandemic. I don't know. I've had people tell me that they felt like their spiritual life was a little out of whack. They were in a bit of a routine. They were kind of, you know, not going through the motions, but they were doing what they were supposed to do, but maybe the passion wasn't there. And I've been asking the Lord for a fresh baptism of boldness in these days. I've been asking the Lord to clothe me with his armor and use me for the extension of his kingdom, not wanting to take a day for granted. And I know how easy it is for all of us to take things for granted, for us to forget. Uh, Job is going to be restored and he's going to be blessed, but I won't take you there. But write down verses 1 through 14. And after the writer tells us to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, he then goes on to talk about discipline. And let me just kind of paraphrase the idea. He says, no discipline for the moment seems fun to paraphrase. We, you know, fathers, our fathers disciplined us as best they could. Uh, you know, they were human. They lacked all the insight they needed and the way of doing it, but they did it for our good. In the same way, our heavenly father disciplines us for our good. Please hear this that we may share in his holiness. So discipline is for restoration purposes to restore us back to what we were intended to be, to be right with God and right with others. And it's also for sanctification purposes, simply put, that we might share in God's holiness. That's Hebrews 12, 1 through 14. In other words, that we might be refined and become more like our Father. So, The book of Job has lessons like that here. And remember in verse 6, as he retracts and repents, we're embarking now on his restoration. It came about, Job 42, 7, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, and his speeches are recorded starting in chapter 38, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite. Now here's the first man mentioned of one of the friends of Job, who came to comfort him in Job 2.11. And God says to him, my wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right, please notice, as my servant Job has, Job 42.7. The address from the Lord after Job repents, retracts and repents, is to address one of the poor comforters of Job and to rebuke him, and in fact, to threaten him 
that my wrath, my judgment, if you will, has been kindled against you. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Pastor Michael Lance and the Walk in Truth team would like to invite you to our next 633 event, One Nation Under God, How America's Christian Heritage Shaped Our Country, with guest Lenny Esposito, president of Come Reason Ministries. At this free event, we will explore how Christianity played an essential role in shaping this country and how the current push toward a post-Christian culture will mean a fundamentally different America. One Nation Under God will be on July 11th at 6.33 p.m. at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, California. Or you can watch online on our YouTube channel. Learn more about 633's One Nation Under God when you visit walkintruth.com and click on events or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH or visit walkintruth.com. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. I've had people tell me that they felt like their spiritual life was a little out of whack. They were in a bit of a routine. They were kind of, you know, not going through the motions, but they were doing what they were supposed to do, but maybe the passion wasn't there. And I've been asking the Lord for a fresh baptism of boldness in these days. I've been asking the Lord to clothe me with his armor and use me for the extension of his kingdom, not wanting to take a day for granted. And I know how easy it is for all of us to take things for granted, for us to forget. Uh, Job is going to be restored and he's going to be blessed, but I won't take you there. But write down verses 1 through 14. And after the writer tells us to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, he then goes on to talk about discipline. And let me just kind of paraphrase the idea. He says, no discipline for the moment seems fun to paraphrase. We, you know, fathers, our fathers disciplined us as best they could. Uh, you know, they were human. They lacked all the insight they needed and the way of doing it, but they did it for our good. In the same way, our heavenly father disciplines us for our good. Please hear this, that we may share in his holiness. So discipline is for restoration purposes to restore us back to what we were intended to be, to be right with God and right with others. And it's also for sanctification purposes, simply put, that we might share in God's holiness. That's Hebrews 12, 1 through 14. In other words, that we might be refined and become more like our Father. So the book of Job has lessons like that here. And remember in verse 6, as he retracts and repents, we're embarking now on his restoration. It came about, Job 42.7, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, and his speeches are recorded in, starting in chapter 38, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite. Now here's the first man mentioned of one of the friends of Job who came to comfort him in Job 2.11. And God says to him, my wrath is kindled against you 
and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right, please notice, as my servant Job has, Job 42.7. The address from the Lord after Job repents, retracts and repents, is to address one of the poor comforters of Job and to rebuke him and in fact to threaten him that my wrath, my judgment, if you will, has been kindled against you. Now, some of us might be surprised at this point to hear this because we might have been thinking, well, wait a minute, how how is it that God says Job has spoken rightly, but Eliphaz has spoken wrongly? A couple of thoughts. Now, Job had been an innocent sufferer. He was still an imperfect person. But Job's main wrestling through the book is to try to understand God. And remember, over and over again, Job Job desires an audience with God. He wants to know God. He desires a mediator. I know that my Redeemer lives. If I only had a mediator to listen to me, if I only had someone who could go between me and God, he's confused. He's asking his questions. He's lamenting, but he loves God. The three friends seem to be more about a systematized philosophy or religious approach to life that seems to be pretty void of a relationship with God. Now, this is my own conjecture, and you can think about this, but there are people who have a philosophy, they have a theology, it's in a nice little package, but it may not be full of much compassion, and it may not be flowing from the spirit of the living God. See, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And what these men were truly missing was love. And love, brethren, is the evidence that we've passed out of death into life. If you are void of love, First John says, you better question your salvation. Because I can speak with the tongues of men and of angels. I can have all wisdom and all knowledge. But if I do not have love, I am nothing. A whole lot of theological noise can be made that's void of the heart of God. Now, the heart of God is to love God, to keep his commandments, is to love him and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so what I see in these three friends is they wanted their neat little philosophical religious answers systematized, maybe from the traditions of their fathers, And I'm not saying that these guys didn't have a fear of God or didn't have some good things to say. They did, but they got a lot of it wrong. And what they especially got wrong was a judgment on Job's heart. They kept, um, you know, they get more and more frustrated with him. They, They want him to come clean, but they're wrong. They were wrong about him. And they were also wrong about God. I want you to notice that God makes it about him because he says, you have not spoken, end of seven, uh, of me what is right, as Job has. I was reading a commentator this week who says, it's not surprising to us that God says the friends were wrong, but it ought to surprise us that the Lord says that, uh, that Job was right. How is this? Is it possible that God's affirmation refers only to Job's humble response to God's speeches. He goes on, yet I think there's a deeper truth here. It seems to me that God's affirmation of Job applies somehow not only to what Job has said, 
but to who Job is. The essence of the thought is this. The friends were content with the system of rules they had invented. Job cannot be satisfied with any system. He must know God. And this is what Christianity is all about. It's not about a system. It's not about a building. It's not about a set of rules. It's about knowing God. And when you know God, everything else flows from that. Even your times of confusion, even your questions. Please notice also that Job is called my servant, Job. This is a pretty high title. In fact, you do a quick concordance search on my servant and you can, you can see that in Numbers 12, 7, God says, my servant Moses. Numbers 14, 24, my servant Caleb. In 2 Samuel 7, 5, my servant David. This is some pretty high company. Uh, in Isaiah 20, verse 3, my servant Isaiah. In 22, 20 of Isaiah, my servant Eliakim. And then in Isaiah 41, 8, God calls Israel my servant. And get this, from Isaiah 42 forward, including 49 and chapter, uh, I think it's 50 and 52, there's four servant songs in Isaiah, starting in chapter 42, 49, 50, and then 52 and 53. And this servant is called my servant, and these servant songs are messianic prophecies. See, Job was the servant of Yahweh, my servant. But the ultimate servant that Job pictures is another suffering servant. Brethren, let me remind you that the fourth servant song about the Messiah, recorded 700 years before he would ever live, talks about his death in graphic detail prophesied in Isaiah 53 and the end of 52. The suffering servant. We've often taken our Jewish friends to Isaiah 52 and 53 to show them the suffering servant and how that's fulfilled in Jesus. And I want you to start to put the puzzle pieces together and see Job is a picture of the suffering servant called my servant, who then, as you kind of track the Bible down from Moses to David to ultimately this suffering servant, you can see that Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. All of us have a desire at the end of our journey in this life to one day hear, as Jesus tells the parable in Matthew 25 about the parable of the talents. This is verses 20 and 21. He said, the one who received the five talents, Matthew 25, 20, came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more talents. His master said to him, remember, well done, good and faithful servant, my servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. You call me master and Lord, and you say, well, Jesus says in John 13, that's what I am. If I, your servant and Lord, washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I've given you an example that you should follow in my steps. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? My servant Job, my servant Jesus, 
If I came to serve, says Jesus to his disciples, what should you do? You've been listening to Restoration and Blessing, part one on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Job chapter 42. And remember, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, please follow Walk in Truth on social media. Walk in Truth's on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Follow us at Walk in Truth Show. Pastor Michael Lance and the Walk in Truth team would like to invite you to our next 633 event, One Nation Under God, How America's Christian Heritage Shaped Our Country, with guest Lenny Esposito, president of Come Reason Ministries. At this free event, we will explore how Christianity played an essential role in shaping this country and how the current push toward a post-Christian culture will mean a fundamentally different America. One Nation Under God will be on July 11th at 6.33 p.m. at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, California, or you can watch online on our YouTube channel. Learn more about 633's One Nation Under God when you visit walkintruth.com and click on events or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH or visit walkintruth.com. Hey, one more reminder that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported program. And thanks to listeners and church partners like you, we're now on three more radio stations. So praise God. Hey, if you're a longtime listener, would you please become a partner of at least $5 a month? You can visit walkintruth.com to donate, or you can call 844-48-TRUTH. And join us tomorrow on this station for part two of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching in Job chapter 42 called Restoration and Blessing. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.